Lord, thank you again for this day and each and every day that you give us. We're reminded of the scriptures. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We're thankful most of all for the day that Jesus went to the old rugged cross, a cruel cross, and allowed his hands to be nailed to that cross and his feet to that cross. Allowed his blood to be shed that we might have our sins forgiven and have eternal life. Lord, bless the service today. Help us as we continue to lift up our voices and praise and worship you. As we listen to the preaching today, might our attentiveness also be an act of worship. Be with those of our number who are away this holiday weekend. Watch over them. Give them traveling mercies. Be with those who may be working. Help them to sense your presence at the workplace. Some of our number that may not be feeling well, Lord, we ask your healing hand would be placed upon them. Strengthen them. For those that are watching on the live stream, help them also to sense your presence there. And whether it's someone is here or someone is watching, if they've never received Christ as their Savior, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you move upon their heart and bring their, that conviction, that reality, the need to them. That they would see that Christ is our hope. And only through Christ might we have eternal life. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles today and turn to Matthew chapter 3, please. Matthew and chapter number 3 today. I encourage you to take your notes this morning and jot some things down as we study. We begin a brand new series today, Kingdom Living. And this morning, uh, we begin that. And what this is, is themes from the book of Matthew. So, anybody have like one of those... Moments where your brain's just not working. No, nobody here, right? Just me. So I I put this um I put this slide together. You know the graphic for the for the series themes from the book of Matthew. And I'm like something is just you know you spell a word and you look at it like five times. You're just like that does not look right. That does not. But you're like oh yeah. But words are like that sometimes. It's right. Words are like that. Well, just before I hit print, it dawned upon me. I wrote on there in that little tiny text, themes from the mook of Matthew. And I was like, that is, that's what it is. That's why it doesn't look right. So I fixed it. And so hopefully, so just so you know, it's just one of those days. And if I say anything like that this morning, you know what I meant. All right. So we're going to take a look at this. Now, in the book of Colossians, uh, we spent quite a bit of time looking verse by verse at every single portion of the book. We, didn't, we tried to not miss anything. As we look at some themes in Matthew, we're going to skip over some things. I'm going to go verse by verse, but I'm going to go verse by verse in sections. So it would be helpful if you uh, read some of the sections in between on your own. Uh, but really, the great theme of the book of Matthew is the kingdom, that Jesus came to bring a kingdom. Now, it's interesting because if you read the very first chapter of the book of Matthew, you'll find that it describes Jesus' kingly lineage. And then if you read a little bit further, you find that it gives the story of, Matthew, of Jesus' birth, the Christmas story that we're used to. And in this passage, and we don't see it in all the other passages, but in Matthew, we see that the true King Jesus is born, and then he is, he is juxtaposed against the evil king whose name, little Bible trivia, the evil king whose name was Herod, King Herod. And then you find, well, they're called wise men from the east, but we think of them as kings coming from the east. Well, we're going to uh, pick a theme verse that we can memorize, and many of you have already memorized it, but it comes from the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 6, 33. Matthew 6 and verse 33. So would you read this together with me out loud? Matthew 6, verse 33, begin. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so the emphasis here, and the emphasis each week, will be what is it that God is trying to accomplish in my life, in my heart? Now, just a statement or two for the introduction, and then we'll dive right into the text for this morning. 
What is the kingdom? What is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? What are we talking about? Well, that's a fascinating study in and of itself because the kingdom was spoken about in the Old Testament. There was a Jewish kingdom and the ultimate king that we think of when it comes to the nation of Israel, and the ultimate king that we're reminded of in the Old Testament is King who? It's King David. And there was a promise to King David that of his kingdom there would be no end. Well, you read your Old Testament, the kingdom was there with David. But then the people of God disobeyed and the kingdom was lost. And they lived in exile. And then there's a return to the land, and that's about where we pick up the story now. But I'd like to just give you this, this, this definition. Simply put, the kingdom of God has different applications. The kingdom of heaven has different applications. But ultimately, you can think of this as at any given time, it is the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. It is the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes that refers to a... a like prophetically, a physical rule and reign of Jesus. But what is going to surprise the readers, or what is going to surprise the people that we read about today, is their mindset is toward a physical kingdom and a real Messiah king. But Jesus is about to show them that his kingdom starts on the inside. And it works his way out. So we're specifically thinking about the rule and reign of Christ in the hearts of men and women. Kingdom living. What does it mean to be a part of God's kingdom? Well, pick the story up with me in Matthew chapter number 3, and this is going to get us started. So Matthew chapter 3, verse number 1, the Bible says this, and what we're going to look at here and on the back of your handout, point number 1, is we're going to see some kingdom anticipation. Kingdom anticipation. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Really, there's a simple, straightforward message that he gives. It's one word, and that one word is what? You guys can help me a little better than that, I think. We'll try again. The one word that's the key word to John the Baptist preaching is what it is? Repent. If you study the word, it basically means you need a change of mindset or you need to change your thinking. It's two Greek words that are combined together that literally meta and noia. So it's the changing of the mind or the changing of the thinking. And ultimately, this changing of thinking, this idea of repentance is what God has always asked of men and women. It's what God has always, has always asked. In other words, we come to God with our own ideas and our own expectations, don't we? We come saying, well, this is how I think things ought to be, or this is how I've been taught things should be. But when we are introduced to this man, John the Baptist, he has a different message, and he has a message that's echoed throughout the Bible. And then it says, when it comes to God's word, you and I need to repent. We need to have a change in our thinking. Now, there's a reason that this needed to happen in this day. The reason is this. Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is... What's the phrase? What's the phrase? At hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? It's right here. The king, it's available. It's here. Now, when you, if you were there in Judea, because we're just reading these words, Judea, this is, the, this is the region surrounding Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the holy city. Jerusalem is the place where the temple is. Jerusalem is the place where it's the capital city of the people of God. It is the place where they're anticipating someday a Messiah is going to come. Someday, a true son of David, a true king is going to arrive, and he is going to what? What would their expectation have been? Now, you might be thinking, 
He's going to save us. Is that what they would have thought? It is, actually. But the question is this. He is going to save us from... Now, we would think he's going to save us from our, from our sins. But they would have thought he's going to, to save us from... It was, a, it was a who. Save us from the... You said it. Good and loud, Mike. I heard it. Save us from the Romans. Save us from the, save us from the Romans. You've seen the gladiator movies. You've seen the Roman Empire movies. You probably know what a centurion looked like. You can imagine that. But can you imagine you have been told through for all of your life that you are the special people of God. You belong to Israel. That there is going to be a kingdom without end. Yet you cannot walk down the street without the possibility of a Roman soldier coming and demanding of you whatever. Whatever. Hey, carry this with me for a mile. And do you know what you had to do? Carry it for a mile. There were episodes where one of the regional governors, you've heard of him, named Pontius Pilate. Well, there was an area where he was a little bit upset with the way the people were. They were a bit rambunctious. So he simply sent his troops in, killed a whole bunch of people, and took their blood, and mingled it in with the sacrifices. This was the world that they lived in. Now, you've been told you belong to the special people of God. You belong to uh, Jehovah. You're a part of a kingdom that will never end. But you sure didn't feel like that. While the Roman troops are marching up and down your streets, and you are in an occupied land. Now, how long had this been going on for? How long had they been dealing with this? Over 500 years. 500 years. That was your national identity. Now, in the United States, we don't have a very long history. Longer than, longer than we can even think back. Even the, very, even the first settlers to come, the first settlers to come to where we are, it is still not, well, no, it's been just uh, no. What am I thinking? It's only been 400 years. So even further than that, their whole national identity. Now, it wasn't just the Romans. There were Persians. And there were Babylonians. Just a series of, of governments that controlled them. So now, finally, there's a prophecy that seems to be coming true. There's a promise that seems to be unfolding. And John the Baptist says, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What do you mean, John? Could this be? Is this the time? Are you the one? Are you the one? Well, he says this in verse number three. For this is he, speaking of John the Baptist, this was he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. And now what we're going to see here is a quote from Isaiah chapter 40. This is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying... The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair. And a leather girdle about his loins. And what did he eat? Locusts, locusts and wild honey. What a character. What a, what a thing to see. You, like, did, can you imagine as the news spreads? There's no, you know, there, there's no Facebook reels or news flashes. It's all word of mouth. So you, have, you, gotta, you literally have to see it to believe it. There's a new prophet. There's a new prophet. They haven't seen a prophet in a few hundred years. It's been silent for a few hundred years. Since Malachi, we've not had a prophet and now, in the day and age which these people are living, there's a new prophet. Well, what's he like? What's he like? You'd have to see it to believe it. What do you mean? The guy eats bugs. Like, big ones. Big old locust. Like, oh, really? Oh, yeah. He dips them in the honey and crunch. 
He eats those locusts. And he's dressed in, in camel's hair. And he's out preaching. Well, what's he talking about? He's saying that the kingdom is here. He's preaching like Isaiah prophesied about. Isaiah said, remember Isaiah said that there's one crying in the wilderness. There's going to be a wilderness preacher. There's going to be a wilderness prophet who says, prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. You've got to come see him. So what did the people do? What would you do? You'd go see him. You'd go see him. And thousands of people went to hear. Why do you think they went? Do you think it was because they were bored with nothing to do? Do you think it was because like, oh, you know, we haven't seen a good show or heard a good sermon lately. Let's go check it out. No, it's because here was a glimmer of hope. Here was a possibility that maybe this is the real deal. Maybe the prophecies are coming too. Maybe, just maybe, the kingdom is coming. Well, that's what he's preaching. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is at hand. Verse number five. Then went out to him Jerusalem. But not only the people that live in Jerusalem, but all Judea. But not just that, but all the region round about Jordan. Now, not only did they go here to go and hear him, but when they got there and they heard his preaching, they became, they became convinced. It was clear to them, this is a prophet. All the people recognized that John the Baptist was a prophet. And by the way, we haven't really even identified yet why he's called John the Baptist. Well, because the sign, the sign that you received the teaching of John, that you were preparing your heart for the coming Messiah was what? Not a trick question. What was the sign of the symbol that you received his teaching, that you were going to repent and prepare your heart? You would then make the step of being, being baptized. And that word baptized, it says in verse number six, so everybody, I mean the whole the whole community, the whole region, everybody comes out and they were baptized by John in the Jordan River and they were doing what when they were baptized? They were confessing their sin. That's a part, that's a core component of repentance. To confess, to state, I am a sinner, but now I am changing my heart. I am turning my thinking back toward God, and I will step into the water. I will be dunked. That's what baptized means. It means to immerse. It, it literally means that. In fact, it could be translated dunk or immerse. It's a Greek word, baptizo. They didn't, the translators, uh, they just took the Greek word and left it there. It's because everybody at the time was arguing about baptism, so they thought, well, we'll just leave it as, but we'll just leave the Greek word, baptizo. And so, but it literally means to immerse or to dunk. And so the people would come and they would go into the water confessing their sin and they'd come back out in anticipation. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming. When Messiah comes, I do not want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. And so there's, there's this huge movement, this huge popularity of John's preaching that he is coming. He's coming. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is at hand. But I want you to notice some things now, number two. We saw that there's this great anticipation for the kingdom. But number two, there are some shattered expectations. Have you ever gone through an experience in your life and you said, well, that's not how I expected this to be. That's not what I expected. Not at all. It's like when I was a kid, me and Aaron's not here today because he and Kristen are they're at a, uh, um, a conference, a music conference actually. So I'll pick on him a little bit. I think it was Aaron's fifth birthday. My dad took all of us to Cooperstown, New York. We're a big baseball family and you know what's in, in, in Cooperstown if you know baseball. It's the Baseball Hall of Fame. And we're going to the Baseball Hall of Fame. We're going to the Baseball Hall of Fame. And we were pretty excited to go. But poor Aaron, was only, he was little. He was only five years old. It was not what he expected it was going to be. 
I don't know what he thought was going to be there. I don't know if he thought he was going to shake Babe Ruth's hand or what. But it is not what he expected. So me and Josh were a little bit, we're, you know, a few years older. We knew baseball enough. Uh, but we got done with that whole thing. And my dad's like, boys, what do you think? What do you think? And if you think my brother Aaron is a little blunt, he's always been that way, okay? He's like, boy, dad, that was the worst birthday present I ever had. Have you ever built your expectations up, 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 and then it wasn't what you thought? You were disappointed. In a sense, in one sense, this is what happened from a human standpoint with the kingdom of God, with the kingdom of heaven. What their expectation was, was this new king arrives... And what does he do first and foremost? He gets on a horse, he gathers an army, he marches into Jerusalem, and he kills all the Romans that are there. And then we, we go up into Galilee, and we go out into all the regions, and we drive everybody out, and we set up our kingdom in Jerusalem, and now we're in charge around here. It was, they were ready for a political moment. They're ready for a national moment uprising. And it's easy for us to be like, to, it's easy for us to just be like, oh yeah, but you're going to get something better. They were human beings just like you and me. And as human beings, we have a really hard time understanding what is most important, don't we? In fact, in just a few months, a lot of us are going to get confused about that very same thing. Because we're going to get more excited about who wins the White House than what God is doing in the heart's of our people. People aren't much different. We look at, at, we look at po politics and money and status and all of that, and we think that these are the things that are going to make the biggest difference in the world. We have all these expectations. Well, the expectations that they had in their day are about to be different. Things are going to be different. However, you and I do know this, that it's not a letdown. Because if a person is willing to repent, they're going to see that what Jesus came to do has eternal significance, far greater than anything that could be accomplished in a, in a remote part of the world. What Jesus was, was, had come to do was greater than they thought, but a lot of them had a hard time seeing it. Look at verse number 7. John now speaks to the religious leaders. This is the first group that is, that is, is going to have shattered expectations. The Pharisees and Sadducees had come to the baptism of John. Now, you've got the, you, we, we imagine the Roman soldier, we imagine John, we imagine all the people around. Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees, imagine them. Just from the way they walked, from the way that they were dressed, they were some of the most self-important people you would ever meet in all your life. These are the religious leaders of the day, dressed in robes, and they, they, Jesus talked about the, the, the phylacteries. You're like, what in the world is a phylactery? Well, you can look it up. They were boxes with the law, and they would wear them on their heads. In their, in their garb, to make sure everybody knew how spiritual they were, everybody knew how important they were, everybody knew that they knew what was going on. And these people basically had the expectation, well, if Messiah comes, he's definitely going to sit us down and have a meeting with us first. Now, I don't know if they would have said it that way, but their expectation is we're, the, we're, we're keeping this whole thing together. The Romans are here, but, but we're the leaders of Israel. We're holding on to everything. We're keeping the traditions alive. You know, these people, they would be lost without us. And so when Messiah comes, certainly we are going to be right along with him. <coughs> Excuse me. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, Imagine if I started the sermon that way today. O generation of vipers, 
Who hath warned you to flee from the what? Not what they anticipated. That when, when Messiah comes, they would not be leading his procession, but they would be in danger of his wrath. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You need to repent. Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Like, what is that all about? They had become convinced that because they had the bloodline of Abraham in them, that there was no way they could miss out on the kingdom of God. They thought when the kingdom comes, <clears throat> when Messiah comes, there is no way we could miss out because we are ultimately secure because we belong to Abraham. And John the Baptist tells them, it's not about your ethnic or your, your ethnicity or your bloodline. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. And don't worry about all those promises because if God needs people from the bloodline of Abraham, he can, he can take them from the stones and make it all work out miraculously. He doesn't need you. This is a, from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, this is a correction of all man-made religious systems. That every religious system that humans have come up with has come from, hey, this is how we think we can approach God. This is how we think we can have a relationship with God. And John's message is, no, repent. It's not going to come from within you. And he says that, he shatters their expectation when it comes to the when it comes to what's going to happen. And now look at look at verse 10. And now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Now verse 11 and 12 really important. John says, I indeed baptize you with water Unto repentance. But he that cometh after me. Who is that? Who's coming after him? It's Jesus. He who cometh after me. Is mightier than I. How much mightier? Well, I'm not even worthy. I'm not even worthy to, to carry his shoes. You see me placing you into the water. Well, he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and what? And fire. That you have the opportunity, he says. When it comes to the ministry of Jesus, when it comes to the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God, the reason that he came, he said there are two, I baptize you with water, but there are two baptisms that Jesus is bringing. One is you can be baptized into the Holy Spirit. Now, later in the New Testament, that's going to be explained. That's going to be explained. And those of us who know Christ Jesus, if we are saved, if we are believers, we have been baptized, we've been placed into, immersed into the Holy Spirit. That's the message of hope that Jesus brings. But that's the one baptism Jesus brings, but the other baptism is with what? With fire. That there is a fiery judgment. There is a fiery judgment for those who miss his kingdom, those who reject his kingdom. Verse 12, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, and he'll gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. What is he saying to them? He's saying, do not, do not assume. Do not assume that you will automatically be part of the kingdom of God. Don't make that assumption. 
that because of your religious performances, because of your family, because of your racial identity, do not assume that you will be part of God's kingdom. He says you have to repent. You have to, you must repent. Because to be acceptable for the kingdom of God, there must be a cleansing of our hearts. The same is true with people today. Don't assume that because you attend church, that you are part of the kingdom of God. Do not assume that you, because you come from a lineage of people who are religious Christian people, don't assume that you are part of God's kingdom unless there has been a moment in your life where you've repented and you've turned to Christ. Because God's kingdom is not on the outside. It's not about outward performance. It takes place in your heart. There's a cleansing of the heart that must take place. Don't assume because you've been baptized. Well, this passage is about baptism. Did the baptism cleanse their hearts? Of course not. They were baptized unto repentance. The baptism was the symbol of the repentance that was inward. Our expectations, people, I'm, I'm surprised so often. Have you ever heard someone say this? Well, I just don't believe that a loving God would allow anyone to go to hell. Have you heard anyone say that before? Yeah. I don't think God would view that behavior as sinful. I just don't see how a loving God could say that that lifestyle is sinful. Have you heard someone say something like that before? Yeah. Why? Because human beings have always come to God saying, not, I repent and receive what's your way, but human beings have always come to God and said, you know what? I would do a better job of being God than you. That's the fundamental sin of humanity. Study, study the Bible. Go back to the original sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. The devil tempts Eve. If you eat this fruit, you will be like who? You'll be like God. It, it doesn't stop with them. It happens with their children. Cain and Abel. Cain brings us, God says, bring an animal sacrifice. What does Cain bring? His own fruits and vegetables. He says, well, God, I think I would rather worship this way. I would rather approach you this way. That has been the heart of every religious system throughout history that says, well, we have a way that we think God should be. That is the epitome of idolatry. We have taken ourselves and put ourselves in the position of God. And these people were people who knew the Bible. These were people who knew the, the they practiced all of the religious practices. They did all of the things, but in their hearts, who sat on the throne? They sat on the throne of their hearts. They were the king of their faith. They were not ready. You cannot receive the true king and you be king at the same time. You have to bow to the true king. So there's kingdom anticipation. There's some shattered expectations. And then finally, I want you to see this. But there were kingdom seekers. Skip over into chapter 4. Now, a few things happened in the meantime. Jesus comes and he's baptized by John and the Holy Spirit comes and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness of the devil in chapter four, but now that, and then he calls some of his first disciples. So his ministry gets started. But I want you to see how his ministry starts in Matthew four and verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news, the gospel, which means good news. Jesus is preaching the good news of the what? Kingdom. 
the good news of the kingdom. Now, John said the kingdom was where? It's at hand. Jesus says, hey, good news, good tidings. I've got an amazing announcement for you. Listen to me. The kingdom of heaven is here. And Jesus goes in Galilee. Now, he starts in Galilee. Now, by the time what happens here is from verse 23 down through verse 25, a lot of time transpires. You've got to understand this because you read Matthew and you think you're looking at like all of the events chronologically and then you've got Luke and Mark and John, right? How many of you have ever had a hard time like putting all those gospels together? It's like, what in the world? Because what you have to understand is each gospel has a theme, each gospel has a purpose, each gospel is showing us something about Jesus. So the first I want to say four chapters of John. If you read John, most of the first four chapters all happen between Matthew 20, uh, 4.23 and Matthew 4.25. So three verses, three verses in Matthew's gospel are covered in the first four chapters of John's gospel. Important, because if you want to know, well, what is this gospel of the kingdom like? I would encourage you to do that. In fact, one of the best tools you could use in your Bible study, and in fact, you can get this on the Bible app, is you can get a chronological Bible. Or you can look up what's called a harmony of the Gospels. And it will place all of the events in sequence for you, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But interestingly enough, what Matthew is focusing on is not all of the conversations Jesus had. Not all of the little details. Matthew is focused primarily on Jesus teaching about his kingdom. So that's what you find in Matthew. And so he's teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he's doing miracles. He's performing miracles. He's healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Now obviously because of that, verse number 24 and his fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments. And those which were possessed with devils. And those which were lunatic. And those that had the palsy. And he healed them. And he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, and from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. This is amazing. As Jesus' ministry begins, and as his preaching about the kingdom happens, people are following him around. Now, you're talking miles and miles and miles that separate these people. They've left their homes. There are multiple times where Jesus had to feed all the people because they have nothing to eat. And so thousands of people are traveling around listening to him speak. Now, the last thing I want to emphasize right now is this. Among the kingdom seekers, among the kingdom seekers, you are going to find two types of people. Now, of course, they would break out into lots of others. But among the kingdom seekers, you're going to find two categories of people. On the one hand, you will find people, for them, the kingdom is all about them. The other group of people, the kingdom is all about Jesus. Now, does that mean there's no benefit for them in his kingdom? No, of course there is. But for these people, the kingdom is all about Jesus. But for this group of people, the kingdom is all about them. In what ways? What miracle will you do for me? What healing could I experience? Will you feed us again? Jesus, show us a sign again. We want to see this again. Jesus, when will you take over? When will you drive the Romans out? Jesus, when will you do this? When will you do this? And the problem is, when, when, we, when we, just like them, when we are so focused on ourselves 
and what Jesus can do for us, when we are so focused on him, we, on us, we struggle to listen, to hear what he's saying. Now, the truth is, if we could get our focus on Christ and on who he is, then we could hear exactly what he is saying, and then we would receive the greatest benefit from us. It's a bit of a paradox, right? If you start with yourself, you're going to end up disappointed. But if you start with Jesus, you're going to be more fulfilled than you could have ever imagined. But I've seen this happen. I've seen it happen even in our church over the years. I've seen people try the Jesus thing for a little while. I've seen people say, well, my life is a mess. I'm having a hard time. Maybe if I tried religion, things would get better. Maybe the, the sickness would go away. Maybe my marriage will get better. Maybe my finances will improve. Now, don't misunderstand me. Could all of those things happen? Can Jesus make a difference in all of those areas? Absolutely. But does he promise that coming into his kingdom means every part of your life will get better? From a human standpoint, no. He doesn't promise that your bank account will be more full. He doesn't promise, let's just put it this way, he never promises that the Romans are going to leave. He never promised that the Romans, but he was going to teach them how they could have an abundant life and an eternal life despite the presence of the Romans. Now, you don't have a foreign oppressor in your life, but do you have some oppression in your life? Do you have some difficulty in your life? The way of Jesus is not always to drive all those things out. The kingdom of Christ starts within us. So I've witnessed people, they, they think, well, this is, this, is for, this is for me for now. But as soon as things don't meet their expectations, like, yeah, I tried and it just didn't really work out for me. But then I've observed other people, and they stand over here, and they say, let me learn more about Christ. Well, what did Jesus mean when he said that? And those are the ones where not immediately, but day over day, week over week, month over month, their lives are radically transformed. And when they look back, I, I had a young man tell me one time, he said, you know why I, you know why I even first came to church? Because I liked a girl there. Which crowd would that be? But then you know what happened? God got a hold of that person. Changed their life. Because they realized, wait a minute, it's not just about me, but they heard the teachings of Jesus. Like, wow, there's something here. And they told me it didn't happen immediately. But over time, over time, God spoke to their heart. So I don't know why you're here. I don't know why you come. But I can tell you all that we have to offer you is the kingdom of Jesus. It's all we've got. But it's everything we've got. All, all that you could hope for. But you have to be willing to repent. You have to be willing, willing to say, it's not my way. I don't sit on the throne of my life. You sit on the throne of my life. Jesus preached. All these people followed him. And now what Christ would do over and over again, you will find whenever there's multitudes of people following Jesus, he will do things to thin out the crowd. In fact, one time, he says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be part of my kingdom. And people are like, eh, I don't think so. And they left. Thin the crowd right out. But there were always people that were like, well, what exactly do you mean by that? Verse number one of chapter five. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, 
Who? Two words. And when he was set, who? His what? What happened to the multitudes? What happened to the multitudes? They don't climb the mountain. Now, we know this was most likely, this wasn't just the 12 disciples. These were, there were more, this isn't the, the apostles. This is just all of the people who said, we are followers of Christ. But did you see how the multitudes are pared down to his disciples? The multitudes were there for what they thought the kingdom was, but his disciples came unto him. Jesus is going to go up the mountain, and the disciples are going to say, he's not getting away from us. We're going to get close to him. We're going to get close to Jesus. His disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. The least expected words they ever thought would come out of his mouth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are you willing to step down from the throne of your heart and give Jesus the rightful place he deserves? See, that is the entry point to Christianity. The entry point to Christianity is repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. No person is a Christian until they first say, Jesus, I don't know what I'm doing. In fact, I'm a sinner. I've broken your law. I receive you as my Savior. And we become poor in our spirit and we receive the kingdom of heaven. Has that ever happened in your life? We call it being saved or being born again or repenting. It's different words for it, but the essence is the same. It's a time in your life. It's a moment where you come to God admitting your need, admitting your sin, admitting that you deserve judgment, but saying, Jesus, you're my king. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. And I ask you to save me. I could never save myself. That is the prayer the religious people could never pray. They couldn't do it. It was like they're trying. I can't. Like, repeat after me. I cannot save myself. I, <coughs> because that was what they cling to. Their own ability to save themselves. But the heart of Christianity is I cannot save myself. You're my king. Please save me. Now, many of you, if not all of you in this room, would say, yes, I've done that. Maybe you haven't. You need to do that today. If you've never done that, ask Christ to save you this morning. But if you have done that, don't we have a tendency, even though we've accepted Jesus as our king, don't we have a tendency to forget who the king is? To forget that he belongs on the throne of our lives. So as we conclude the service and we come to our prayer time, you, may, you need to make one of two decisions. If you've never been saved, if you've never trusted Jesus, you need to ask him to save you. But if you are a Christian, you need to say, Lord, am I living as if you're the king? Or am I living like I'm the king? So let's bow our heads together. Let's have a quiet moment. I'd, I'd, I'd ask that, please, we don't have any moving around. This is an important part of the service. This is an invitation. It's a time for you to respond to what the Word of God has said to us. So have you received Christ as your Savior? Are you a true Christian? If you say, Ethan, I'm not sure. I'm just not sure, but I'd like to be sure then I'd like to lead you in a prayer right now. This prayer is not in and of itself. It's, it's just like the baptism. It doesn't save anybody. But if in your heart you're ready to believe on Christ, that is salvation. So you can pray something like this. If you're ready to receive Christ, pray something like this. Say, say Dear God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. 
I repent. My way is wrong. But I believe, Jesus, that you came to die for me. And I believe that you rose from the dead. So right now I ask you to save me. I put my full faith and my full trust in you alone. If you prayed that this morning, I'd encourage you to let me know. If you're watching online and you receive Christ today, send us a private message so we could pray for you. But Christians, those of you who'd say, yes, there was a time in my life I have done that, right now, just take a minute as the piano's going to play softly as we all pray on our own. Would you just ask the Lord, just reflect in your heart, are you living like Jesus is the King? Or are you focused on your agenda for life and your way? Put Christ, allow Christ to be who, who He is in your life, your true King. Let's have prayer. Lord, we thank You so much for Your love for us. We thank You that you are the true and righteous King. Help us to live each and every day with you on the throne of our lives. Thank you that you came. Thank you that you saved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the service that went forth this morning. We just pray that as we live our lives, Lord, that we would live for you and not for what we can get out of it, Lord. But everything we do would be dedicated to you, God. We just pray that you would bless the remainder of our day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.